Hey, welcome back to The Mining Pod. On today's show, we're joined by Charlie Matt to go through this week's Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining news. We got a lot to talk about this week, so it was a pretty great show. You'll hear a word from our main sponsor for the show, Foreman Mining, later in the episode. And then quickly here in a second, you'll hear from our two other sponsors, Gator Mining and Upstream Data. Lastly, we'd like to encourage you to go check out our newsletter, Blockspace.media. We're starting to push some individual content creators within that newsletter, including uh, specific data around hosting and politics in DC, things like that. So there's going to be some great content in that newsletter coming up here soon. Go and subscribe at blockspace.media today. Okay, quick word from our sponsors, and then on to the show. Want to mine Bitcoin? Gator Mining offers premium hosting with as low as one unit per client, 95% uptime guaranteed, no curtailment, 24-7 monitoring and maintenance, in-house certified repair center, clean and renewable energy, all at competitive market rates. Work with an individualized team to get hash rate flowing your way today. Gator Mining, pioneering trustworthy crypto hosting for optimal mining success. Contact Gator Mining today at gatormining.ca. Bitcoin miners, be prepared. Hashrate is moving upstream towards power plants and low value energy. Don't get cut off. Modernize and mobilize your Bitcoin mining fleet today with Upstream Data's high performance load centers. Plug in Upstream Data's hash hut and monetize surplus wind power reliably in the blistering heat of West Texas. Plumb in hash generators and safely convert natural gas into cash in the frigid winters of Northern Canada. Upstream offers high quality load centers that will help you mine Bitcoin safely and reliably in every application and climate. Mobilize today and start mining upstream at upstreamdata.com. Are you a retail or institutional investor interested in Bitcoin mining companies? The Miner Mag brings you free data and analysis from all major NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin mining operations to know who stands out. Check out visualized metrics and data-dependent stories at theminermag.com. Okay, welcome back to the show. For our lineup really quickly before I hand it over to Matt and Charlie to do a little intro for our new audience members, we're going to talk about hash rate and difficulty and halving check. Bitcoin halving is coming up in around 100 days. It's the biggest event in Bitcoin every four years, almost like a Bitcoin Christmas and 4th of July mixed together. Uh, then we'll go over and talk about explosion of things that are happening in ordinals. We'll hand that over to Charlie to talk about it. And lastly, we'll dig into some news in the Bitcoin mining landscape with Core Scientific relisting and Swan announcing its Swan mining arm this morning. Okay, Charlie, hand it over to you though for a quick intro first. And Matt. Yo, I'm Charlie. I work for Luxor Mining, Luxor Tech. Uh, I'm on the Ordinal Hub side of the business. I've been a miner myself, and I am very enthusiastic about Ordinals and this new emerging era of Bitcoin block space. I'm Matt. I work on the research desk at CoinShares. We do uh, European financial products, and uh, I'm a big data junkie, so hopefully bring some numbers to the show. Hey, Matt's been in the show with me for, I think, coming up on 18 months, which is pretty exciting, right? I think it's been Very a long time. And then Charlie joined on recently, but he's been a longtime guest and listener as well. Uh, so... Thank you both for joining today. Let's jump right into the first bit of news. Let's do a network update. If you are listening to this, you can also watch it on the Coindesk Podcast Network or Coindesk TV, I should say, or on the Blockspace YouTube channel. So go there and check it out. We're going to go through a first few images, starting with a network update. Hash rate up to 590 exahash. That's an, again another all-time high, and the difficulty is at 70 plus trillion. 
Matt, throw that over to you just to explain it really quickly and then let's kind of go through some of the implications for where we're at leading into the happening. Yeah, so we just had uh, a couple of days ago, we had a downward difficulty adjustment, a very, very elusive downward difficulty adjustment that we uh, don't get very often these days as hash rate has really just been erupting. Um, so yeah, I guess if you're if you're new to Bitcoin, that just means um, it is gonna be easier to find blocks, right? So blocks that come in at a target average of about ten minutes, and what happened over the last difficulty period um, was that blocks were coming in a bit slower. Why, Will? Why are blocks coming in slower? Yeah, less hash rate in the network. So recently, that's been because of the, the weather in Texas and really in the United States has been super cold. Bitcoin miners either had to turn off because it was too cold to mine their ASICs. Probably not the case, but maybe a few people. Or there's been curtailment events in these electrical grids around the United States, mostly in Texas. We see that there's been like a huge integration between these electrical markets and Bitcoin miners leading to what is essentially uh, weather patterns controlling how fast Bitcoin blocks land, which is a pretty crazy idea. And it's like weather patterns and weather events are changing how fast you're able to transact on top of Bitcoin, which is, I think, a really, really cool idea. Charlie, why don't hand that over to you? Yeah. I mean, if you want to know what the next difficulty adjustment is going to be, call your meteorologist. This is really, really cool. It used to be the weather events in China, the wet and dry season, rainy and not rainy, uh, you know, affecting the hydroelectric rates there. This is pre-2021. And now we have the heat and cold in Texas, um, the new China, the American East. So uh, it's really cool to see this happen. I think if you if you think about it conceptually, zoom out really far, um, we're going to see as the network hash rate becomes increasingly globalized, localized weather events are going to actually affect um, hash rate off and on. So it is the time. It's time to go back to the farmer's almanac. And uh, then, you know, the Farmer's Almanac and the Derivatives book will be more closely linked than we imagine. Yeah. So I'm in Texas. So we had uh, freezing temperatures just a couple weeks ago, and they actually lined up very closely with Bitcoin's block time increasing. And so as uh, the grid started to become more stressed while everybody was cranking up the heat in their houses, Bitcoin miners were turning off, getting paid for assisting in the uh, demand response program. So we had a uh, freezing temperature starting January 13th. The next day, the average block time changed a full two minutes. So on the 12th, we were coming in at That's 90. Crazy. The next day, 11 minutes. And that continued on for, let's see, from the 15th to the, to the 19th. So, I mean, there was consistently freezing weather basically over that weekend. Um, and miners basically stayed shut off taking in the rewards from grid operators rather than the Bitcoin mining network, which is really interesting. And this is kind of like a little rare, right? In Texas, it doesn't typically get this cold where you usually see more demand response is actually in the summer when everybody's cranking up the AC because it's super hot. So we saw the the difficulty just was about was 3.9 or about 4%, which means that it took us about a little under half an extra day to hit the next halving. And, uh, we also saw fee, the average fee rate decline during this time. So you can almost look and say that the, you know, if you're trying to, you know, fees typically go down whenever blocks come in faster, but we saw blocks come in slower and fees go down. 
So we're seeing just this like, kind of circular, cyclical nature to Bitcoin block spaces, which is another fascinating topic to go down some of the time. Last thoughts on the Texas topic. For those listening, there's probably around two gigawatts of Bitcoin mining in Texas right now, like plus or minus a little bit there. That's based on ERCOT numbers, the Energy Reliability Council Texas, and they monitor and create demand response for Texas grid. Uh, these Bitcoin miners probably make up around less than 5% of the grid total. Uh, it's about 80 to 85 gigawatts of uh, energy generation on the Texas grid at any given moment. And it's higher during the summer where they're going to have more demand, higher during the winter when there's more demand and the generation is lower during the other period. So Bitcoin miners are definitely a big part of the Texas energy grid. It's probably one of the uh, most tangible instances of Bitcoin in everyday life. Uh, so it's definitely a story to watch. We have a show coming out next week with Thomas Arrow of Standard Bitcoin. And we actually touch on this quite a bit. He has some counterpoints. He actually doesn't like the whole Texas Bitcoin mining game. So that's a very interesting podcast coming out next week. Let's move over and talk about the halving really quick since we mentioned that. And let's talk about how these public miners are set up to do having preparation, I suppose we could say. So this is from our friends over at the Miner Mag, taking a look at the all-in costs of mining Bitcoin by publicly listed miner. There's about 20 to 25 publicly listed Bitcoin miners out there. You can buy them on your portfolios, you know, your Schwabs, your other places of the world, your Fidelities. You can put these in your portfolios. They all, of course, are basing their revenues on top of the Bitcoin network and how they're going to perform against the price of Bitcoin and the difficulty of mining Bitcoin with the cost of energy being a huge assumption they have to make here. And as of now, it does not look great for a lot of publicly listed miners because halving changes your revenue structure by about 50%. Matt, I'll throw it to you to get your thoughts on going to halving for these publicly listed miners. The good thing, I guess, about the halving is that it's expected and you know it's going to happen. And so you uh, can do your best to prepare. Um, and so a lot of public listed mining companies have been basically trying to shed debt, upgrade the efficiency of their machines, do things in advance of the halving because they know it's going to happen. That being said, right, the subsidy, the amount of new coins being issued every block will be cut in half. That is the core revenue stream of miners. And so it's going to be tough. Um, and we'll see who I guess is best positioned after the fact, right? Um, as Charlie loves to talk about, transaction fees is the other big part. So there, there is kind of a saving grace as transaction fees have been going up recently, um, largely due to the hype and excitement around ordinal inscriptions. That being said, we'll see if that can continue. Some of that also may have been because the anticipation and excitement around ETFs and people transacting more. Um, so things to monitor, right, going into the halving definitely transaction fees, right? And then we'll we'll see kind of what the market is thinking uh, ahead of time as well with these miners and where their uh, stock prices go. One thing I want to bring up is these charts we're looking at. If you're listening on audio, I'll just kind of describe them a little bit. We have a chart for a miner mag with all in cost for power assumptions for these different Bitcoin miners, names like Riot, Core Scientific, Marathon, Hive, et cetera. And then we also have a chart showing the hash costs for different equipment types. How much does it mine uh, per petahash, dollar per petahash? And you want to have newer generation equipment. You have newer generation equipment, you're more efficient, you're able to mine Bitcoin for cheaper. This enables you to mine Bitcoin at a lower cost and keep your revenues really high. 
a lot of these older units are basically obsolete right now. And by the time happening comes around in a hundred days from now, most of the equipment out there will be obsolete. Like you're going to need to be up to date with the best equipment. Now this is based on Bitcoin's current price, of course. So if we see Bitcoin price go up even 25%, a lot of these companies are at a better spot. If we go up 50%, even better than that, which sort of leads us to our next topic and is talking about these ETF flows and seeing how ETF flows into Bitcoin could increase Bitcoin price. We don't do a lot of price talk on this show, but I do think that it's worth it because we just went through the ETFs. We have a chart up from K33 Research showing that Bitcoin inflows reached about 100,000 or these ETFs purchased about 100,000 plus Bitcoin into their ETF funds. And that's a lot of demand for Bitcoin that was on out there. Now, of course, there was a lot of outflows, mostly from GBTC. Uh, but I would like to get your guys' opinion on if we're going to see this flow dynamic change for GBTC and these other ETFs and how that could impact Bitcoin price going into happening. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Charlie. This is really my area of least familiarity and lowest expertise, but it seems to me that the GBTC outflows have to kind of subside and that loop has to close for us to really begin uh, seeing the long-term effects of renewed, uh, you know, capital flowing in to Bitcoin. Yeah, just looking at these new ETFs and the kind of size of of inflows that they've received, I don't really think that we'll continue at this pace. At CoinShares, we are in the financial product game, and so we observe kind of globally. And uh, I'll just consult my notes here. Like something notable is that last week, the outflows from, say, uh, Bitcoin financial products in Canada and Germany and Sweden and Switzerland all had major outflows. Uh, Canada was 165 million out, Germany 98 million, Sweden 13, Switzerland 19, and the US had a total inflow of 263 million. And so if you netted everything out from inflows and outflows from global uh, Bitcoin ETFs, it was an outflow of about 20.8 million, and that's including GBTC. So really, uh, while there has been a lot of volume and a lot of activity, um, on the whole, what's happened in the last couple of weeks hasn't been that crazy. And what I th- what I think, at least, what we've seen is a lot of um, investors that were in ETFs offshore from the United States see the competitive fee environment of these new ETFs in the States and kind of move uh, move their wealth over, right, to take advantage of the of the lower fee environment. Definitely. I mean, I think going to having Bitcoin miners just want to see one thing and it's price go up. Like you said, a second ago, Matt, like they've had time to prepare for this. Everyone knows when this date was going to happen uh, coming up in April or more or less when it was going to happen. There's a block hype for it. So yeah, if you're ready or not, and you know, if Bitcoin price goes up because of something like the ETFs, that would be very different than past happenings where Bitcoin price has sort of just been wherever at a certain moment, this ETF thing was different for the first time, for the first happening. So hopefully it it helps out. Okay, let's go to the next topic. Okay, Charlie, I'm going to throw it over to you to talk about ordinals. This week has been like crazy and I've not been able to keep up with it. So someone kind of asking for this out of selfish reasons as opposed to just for the show. Like what is going on with inscriptions and ordinals right now? There's always something going on. So if you think back to the past year, you've had two narratives. One is of like the NFT type PFP art analogs. One is of the emerging fungible token landscape on Bitcoin. What's interesting is 
historically we've seen the these two types of markets in the world of ordinals and inscriptions kind of follow similar uh, cyclical you know boom bust periods. What we've seen is actually this past uh, week or really three weeks is kind of a divergence where the NFT profile pick market activity is still considerably hot. Got a lot of volume in this space, whereas the fungible token world is not really minting or inscribing, not really generating as many fees on chain. There's still decent volume. But we're seeing these two different markets kind of diverge. Um, most notably on the collection side of the Quantum Cats, the Taproot Wizards are releasing their project. It is kind of an, it is uh, to push forward discussion and education and uh, implicit advocacy for the OpCat opcode and a potential Bitcoin soft fork. A very interesting discussion, which has had knockoff effects for Op Check Temple Verify and brought Jeremy Rubin, the author of that, back into the conversation. And we've also seen some other prominent mints and some kind of precursors to Casey's runes launch uh, come this past week. There was an airdrop in the space which now signals towards an event that may take place at the happening. So it's kind of weird that we're now seeing this cultural layer on Bitcoin uh, have to be considered when discussing what's happening on chain. I love it. It just brings a totally new type of analysis to the table. Now that there's quantum cats, I feel like the the CTV fans, the TX hash fans, the Opvolve fans, I feel like everybody needs some kind of uh, advocacy uh, inscription collection that is going to explain your BIP and, and spread awareness. Matt, and, uh... you are correct. <laughs> what, what You are right. This is happening live because Jeremy Rubin uh, is not behind this, but a bunch of people have launched Jeremy Rubin's Rubin's Rubin sandwich collection and put in sandwich emojis in their username, including myself. <laughs> who signaled that we would like to see OpCTV. And it's fun because, okay, we can say Quantum Cats, it's Udi and Eric, and they're, they're these people and all that. But it's having real actual knockoff effects, um, not just out, even outside of the Quantum Cats, OpCat discussion. So you love to see it. Um, I, you know, I think it, if, if, if we see any forward progress in any of these categories or on any of these topics, I think we could uh, we could look back and say, "Wow, the Taproot Wizards actually kind of did it." So, you know, we'll see. Just to take a step back for the audience, inscriptions are like very similar to Bitcoin NFTs. We've done a lot of talks on this show, but people are now using them within the Bitcoin landscape to start advocating for different technical adaptions or changes to Bitcoin, which is very different than how we've seen NFTs be used in the Ethereum or Solana ecosystem, to my knowledge. It sort of acts as like a signaling tool, which is a very innovative use case for something like an NFT, where a lot of people have looked at it and been like, what's the utility here? Well, instead of just having a profile picture of a monkey or something like that, just for fun, you can have a profile picture, like you said, this Ruben sandwich, which obviously is an inside joke to Twitter. But to certain people on Twitter, it means like, hey, this person wants Bitcoin to change this way and it opens up a discussion. Uh, so it's definitely like a very inside baseball use case for NFTs and all that sort of stuff, but it's a real use case. And I, I think it does put pressure onto the Bitcoin ecosystem to look at maybe making some sort of technical change in the future. Yeah. And um, just on the topic of this, when these collections launch, it can often drive a lot of activity in kind of a burst on Bitcoin. 
And that actually has implications downstream just to Bitcoin hash rate derivatives or uh, miners themselves seeing a nice influx in, you know, their the amount of Bitcoin they mine. Um, notably, and I mentioned this, there is an event at the having block 840,000 sometime in April where um, a lot of these things kind of coincide. There is a new fungible token standard, which is very, um, uh, very popular right now, which launches at that having event. It's called Runes. That Casey, the inventor of inscriptions and ordinals, uh, is is opening up, and that could drive a lot of fees on Bitcoin in that first block right after the having. Couple that with some of the people collect sats and a sat, which is created in that block of the having, eight hundred forty thousand, uh, is very desirable. So we have a lot of different um, kind of fee spike events that are easily telegraphed because of this new evolution of the inscriptions market um, that are coming in April. And so this is possibly something, a conversation I think we should be having alongside the one of the having. What are miners going to do? How are they going to survive? We're going to look at you know, the what eight rigs they have on their balance sheet. And at the same time, we can couple that with some analysis on what are we expecting as far as fee rate spikes or fee or transaction competition in those first blocks so super fascinating to be talking about this and we'll be talking about this a lot over the next few months yeah one of my favorite things about this whole mining ecosystem is the doors kind of got blown off over the last two months and it's probably the most important space we pay attention to because of inscriptions and ordinals and possibly l2s that come along matt sorry now i'm i'm just i'm really interested to see the the fees in this having block. I mean, historically also there's people out there that like to publish like messages through through Opportune, right? In these types of blocks um, because it's a celebratory event and it's a it's a cultural kind of phenomenon, right? And so you're going to have fee demand for all sorts of different reasons. And this affects the mining space because that's revenue to miners. I mean, there is a world where you could turn on ASICs that are somewhat or that are previously cash flow negative ahead of this having block because you anticipate that you might be able to get it and you anticipate a certain level of those variable fee rewards that would make such an ASIC uh, cash flow positive for you, right? I mean, that's a really interesting dynamic and it's kind of like a ASIC betting game, um, but it'll be really fun to see uh, what what will happen around the having, which is is like we've talked about, an expected, very predictable event. Yet this one could have a little bit of chaos to it. And that'll be that'll be fun to see. Okay, we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Then we're going to get into a few Bitcoin mining news headlines that just happened over this week. Hey, listeners, let's talk about revolutionizing your mining operation with Foreman. This isn't your average management tool. It's an all-in-one solution for reducing costs and significantly boosting your revenue. Foreman brings a cutting-edge dashboard to your fingertips, empowering you with automated energy strategies. This means not only curtailing around real-time prices, but also strategically enhancing your profit margins through demand response. It's about leveraging energy efficiency to its fullest potential. With Foreman, you get a system that scales with your business, inventory management for assets, infrastructure integration, and business intelligence. Foreman elevates the cash flow and production of your entire operation. To see how Foreman can redefine your mining operation standards, visit foreman.mn. With Foreman, you're not just managing a mining operation, you're setting a new standard in the industry. 
Okay, welcome back to the show. We got two more headlines we want to go through while we have a few more minutes with everyone here. The first one is Swan. Swan Mining is now here. According to announcement today, Thursday, as of recording times, Thursday, 1 p.m. Mountain, they put this out earlier in the morning. Swan Mining has now launched. They have 4.5 exahash of Bitcoin mining online. According to their announcement, it's around 1%, maybe a little bit less than 1% of the Bitcoin network. Uh, They launched in Stealth uh, earlier last year during the summer, and they're working with uh, institutional investors to fund this out of a debt profile. They're trying to get to 8x hash. Now, in terms of other miners that we know out there, 4.5x hash is actually pretty large. I mean, this puts them into the same league with a lot of other Bitcoin miners that you will see on public exchanges at this point. Uh, Riot blockchain or Riot platforms as it is now is I think around 10x a hash. So they're about half of what Riot is. Um, we don't really know a lot about like how they're mining at this point. Like what's their treasury management strategy? Who are they mining with? Where are they mining? What pool are they using? But this is certainly an interesting launch to see uh, what is basically like a household name in the Bitcoin circles come out with such a large mining group out of basically like thin air. There was talks about Swan getting to mining for a while, but I didn't know very many people who were actively working with them or talking about being this size. Charlie, whether to you get your thought on it since you are indeed a Bitcoin miner with some peta hash online. Yeah. You know, a lot of the conversation this past year has been, where is the hash rate coming from? A lot of people are like, well, maybe it's coming from Russia. Uh, maybe there's private miners in the US, South America. We don't know much about Swan, but this really just demonstrates like they're a prominent uh, actor in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Um, they're US based primarily. And, um, and this was a very well-kept secret. And so this is happening in our own kind of information ecosystem. And the, my takeaway from this is one, congratulations, Swan, 4.5 exahash is massive. Like it's, that is a massive feat. And you would have had to have been hiring and working with like very skilled top to top tier people. And the other one is like, um, I think it actually demonstrates that you can stand up several exahash uh, pretty quietly. That's my main takeaway because I had not heard about this, any of my information ecosystems and maybe other people knew, but the, it was a very well, um, well-kept uh, uh, operation, well-kept secret. Yeah, definitely well-kept secret. I mean, kind of my job was to be eyes and ears for Bitcoin mining. I only heard a few people talking about this. I knew that they were interested in the mining game. You know, they they had hired some people for this, but that was about it. And to come out with 4.5x hash is like certainly a huge feat. Uh, some thoughts here, they've mined about 750 Bitcoin to date, apparently how this fits into their Bitcoin exchange and white glove services, I'm interested to see. Um, They said in the note that the two entity structures are different, which is important for a Bitcoin mining operation. A lot of Bitcoin miners go bankrupt at some point or have to like overhaul their financials. So that was smart of them to keep the entities separate. But do they have other ties? Like, are they able to like bring Bitcoin over directly at a cheaper cost to the exchange? Does this mean that they're going to have other services like lending or treasury management? Certainly something to watch. Like that's a pretty big move by them to be able to like go forward with that. Last thing is like, does this prepare Swan to go public in the next cycle? Bitcoin miners try to go public because there's a lot more money in terms of being able to have infrastructure set up. And if Swan has as much hash rate online, certainly it seems like they could go public and be an interesting profile for a new publicly listed Bitcoin miner. Matt, any other thoughts? 
it's interesting to see if you know they're kind of adding another revenue line and and this isn't something that hasn't necessarily been done before river also kind of offers uh mining and there are another bitcoin brokerage that's really hyper focused on bitcoin um and they've been able to do it and they've been able to kind of continue it'll be interesting to see if if swan customers as you said will can basically get exposure and do kind of a mining as a service deal um but I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of questions here that are yet to be answered. It's just an announcement. Uh, but mining is a hard game. It's capital intensive and it's a hard game. So we'll see if they're ready to compete. Definitely a hard game, but we welcome new entrants because it's mining. We love it. Let's go to the last news, which honestly, we could have led the show with this news, but I guess we saved the best for last, which is Core Scientific going back onto the NASDAQ. It is reemerged from chapter 11 bankruptcy. So huge congrats to the core scientific team for making it through the entire process. Like I said just a moment ago, a lot of Bitcoin miners go through chapter 11 or some sort of restructuring and sometimes are cut up into bits and parts and never reemerge as a company. But core scientific was able to do so. Uh, in this case, for background, core scientific was the largest Bitcoin miner uh, from about 2020 to 2023 within the US, within North America as a publicly listed miner and possibly one of the largest Bitcoin miners in the world, uh, if not the largest. They had over 20 exahash online at a certain period when you know Bitcoin network only had around 250 to 350 exahash. So huge Bitcoin miner. They had a lot of financial problems, basically were overextended going into a bear market. Prices went down and they had to restructure their entire playbook. They have now reemerged from chapter 11 after doing uh, quite a number of different settlements and deals. Uh, they have regrouped a lot of the shares into different pricing structures and brought those shareholders back into alignment with the company's vision. And then they've also settled a few claims, uh, even one this week with Sphere 3D for about $10 million for hosting arrangement. So to me, I look at this and just be, it's kind of a marvel that within about a year, they're able to relist. There's a ton of hours, a ton of lawyer work, and they're they're back as a Bitcoin miner. And I think this will be an interesting profile for investors out there. Um, not giving investment advice, but I think just compared to some of the other Bitcoin miners, people will take a look at Core Scientific as it's been relisted as potentially an interesting place to get Bitcoin exposure. I never thought I'd see the day. I mean, they were supposed to have gone like bankrupt, bankrupt uh, a year ago, but um, this, this is a story of survival. I am very impressed that really speaks to the team that they're able uh to keep things together i know they had to hire some people change out some people but like there's they're coming out of bankruptcy they're they're going back on the nasdaq that's crazy this past year for public miners was the year of like bucking expectation this being the largest largest expectation that was bucked i think if there were a prediction market a year ago it would have been just 95%, uh, you know, core side doesn't come out of this, but here we are. Yeah, I'll be, uh, it's a, it's a major achievement for them to, to get to this point. Um, and I mean, they, they were the biggest beast, right? And, and it was at a time when a lot of investors and we can still see it this way and we'll see if it, if it changes kind of in the, in the next bull cycle. Um, but a lot of investors were valuing public listed mining companies really just based off of their hash rate, just the size of their hash rate, right? A lot of money was coming in, just posting that you're going to 
have a higher expected hash rate at the end of the year, so on and so forth. Not necessarily looking at things that we know is very important, like the efficiency of your machines, the cost of your power, so on and so forth, right? The real economics of things. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Core does differently, right? Moving forward from here. Uh, they kind of tumbled out the gates on the relisting. I think they're down a little over 30% from where they came back in at. That being said, they're in the game now. They're back in the game um, and we'll see how they progress. Okay, that's a wrap for this week's show. We'll have another interview on Tuesday of next week. Thanks for listening. Follow Charlie and Matt on Twitter. Also check out our newsletter, Blockspace.media. You can go there and get a great new newsletter, twice a week, new content. And of course, follow us on the Coindesk Podcast Network or on the Mining Pod feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Charlie, Matt, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for joining.